It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 26. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. It's another great day on the podcast. It is. Uh, I feel like I need to acknowledge the fact that my that my microphone is crappy. I'm traveling right now, so I'm on junky iPhone headphones. I'm sorry. Is there a name but... for the phenomenon where when you're doing something poorly, you say it out loud just so everyone knows you're doing something poorly? I think it's called calling your shot. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty really? sure, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's what Babe Ruth did right before he famously whiffed on that pitch in the World Series, wasn't it? Like, but did he, was he calling that he was going to miss it, or was he calling that he was going to hit it out of the park? No, he, he, no I, look it up. He called he was going to miss, and then he did. It's 100% fact. <laughs> you're basically saying you're Babe Ruth right now? I am Babe Ruth, yeah. <laughs> I've transformed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna that's, say. That's not I was gonna happened. say if it didn't have a name, I was gonna say let's call it pulling a Jameson. Pulling, a, that's what I want to be known for. <laughs> Announcing that you are gonna suck at something and then sucking at it. So my Jameson's leg, on travel today. My is assured. <laughs> <laughs> you're on travel today, so you're away from your fancy pants equipment. Yep. But the show must go on. We care about you that much. Yes. You're like family. We wouldn't miss this. It's like Thanksgiving no. dinner. Yeah, we wouldn't miss it. It has been delayed because of travel. <laughs> so <laughs> technically, we did miss Thanksgiving dinner. We just rescheduled it. But it's yeah, fine. yeah, for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will right. read the first question. Yeah. Um, how do I make sure my team and company recognize me for my work? And there's a little more background on this question. Do you want to talk about that, Dave? Yeah, sure. A mutual friend of ours named Matt Zabriskie wrote a very thought-provoking blog post about a topic that I have never conscientiously thought about. It's titled, Communicate Your Efforts. And uh, subtitle, If a Tree Falls in a Forest and No One around Is Around to Hear It, Does It Make a Sound? And he goes into this great story about him working crazy long days, 13, 14-hour days, working till like 3 a.m. day after day after day. But apparently no one knew he was doing it. All they knew was that he looks really tired and comes in late every day. <laughs> and, then, and, and, and at the end of the day, people didn't really recognize the heroism that he had, you know, all this work he had put in. Then at a different company, he did this tiny little change to the UI to make the, their product a little bit better. And then he sent out an email to the team about it. Um, and he got all this praise. You know, the VP of the engineering was like, I love this kind of innovation. Great drive, you know? And he's like, what? <laughs> what just happened? And so he, he identified that the difference was communication. He just simply shared what he had done with others. So we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about techniques for that today. So I'll tell you what I do is I forward all of my Git commits to the CEO <laughs> just, just to make sure he knows. <laughs> I have set up a hidden speaker in the team lead's office. Every time I push to GitHub, it just plays like a klaxon to let them know. <laughs> Jameson! <laughs> yeah. He has yeah, committed. It's kind, of, it's kind of a fanfare, yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's like a Gregorian chant, like, <laughs> Like my code is uh, descending from the heavens into the app. There's a network exactly. of speakers because they keep finding one, but then there's always another one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's how you make sure people know what you're doing. Got it. <laughs> um, I think there are two interesting things. The first thing is definitely the communication part. The second one is um, the, the distinction between input and output. 
where earlier in the story, Matt was putting in insane hours, working crazy amounts of time, working really hard. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm sure it had a, a big effect on the project. Yeah, probably. But it, it doesn't seem like the effect was proportional to his input. And that's, that's, mm. that feels like a true thing to me. Like working hard doesn't mean you produce something all the time. So when you said input and output, I think a, a business person would call that return on investment. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the, what is it, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 thing, where 20% of the effort produces 80% of the result, or mm -hmm. you can kind of mush that into a bunch of different contexts. But some of it is just the, the task that he was working on was low effort and high impact. So maybe yeah, exactly. That's, exactly. That's one strategy. You could just like... <laughs> only work on the easy stuff <laughs> strategically pick the easy but impressive stuff <laughs> <laughs> well no i mean the, there's always going to be a bunch of things you could do and um some of them are going to take a long time but but sometimes you have a choice between um something that will take a long time and produce value and something that will take a lot less time and might still produce the same amount of value so mm -hmm. i don't know you, you can be slimy about this, but it doesn't feel slimy to consider, um, can I put in less work <laughs> and, and get more output by doing this other thing? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if, if your only goal is to get recognition, then that, that can feel slimy. But if your goal is to add value for your, the people, the audience that your product is targeting, then why not do the high-impact, low-effort stuff? Like, that's just a no-brainer. But even then, even then, notice that in Matt's story, he did that high-impact, low-effort uh, project. But if he hadn't sent an email to his team, they might not have even known that he did it. Or, you know, they might, not, they might have just been like, oh, cool, that, that finally got in the product. You know, great. Yeah. You know? yeah. Or, but, or it would just, they might not even notice ever. It would just kind of start to feel a little yeah, better. Yeah, like, but oh, that's always be been there, right? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, to me, was the key difference. Yeah, the communication part is is big. Um, I'm just saying you can also do something yeah. with the actual work you do. Some of the things that I uh, like to do is um, I give frequent status reports to leadership, whoever that is. Don't wait for leadership to ask you how things are going. Um, and I don't mean you have to sit down and fill out like a complicated form and, and write up a big long email. But I, I like to keep stakeholders apprised of the stuff that I'm working on and not just like, hey, I worked on this, like that is utterly uninteresting. What's more interesting is outcomes. Like, hey, I did this project and as a result, our customers will be able to do this thing they, that used to take three hours, they can do it in 30 minutes now. You know, or I worked on this thing that allows other developers to write code uh, with fewer bugs. Like, isn't that cool? You know, and I like to focus on outcomes. You know, what are the outcomes of the things that I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And don't brag. Yeah. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Oh. You know, it's not about like, look how great I am. It's about, look at the cool stuff we have now. You know, talk about the benefits to others. Don't talk about why you're great. Yeah, I think this this comes more easily to some people than others. And I, I know Matt pretty well, and he is a very unassuming person. He uh, is super talented, and he doesn't tell you he's super talented. Mm -hmm. So I think th this problem applies more to people... Um, who have a hard time kind of talking about themselves or, or feeling like they're bragging, then um, other people might have the other problem, which is like 
how do I not annoy everyone by talking about myself all the time? <laughs> uh, so uh, this, this is more towards one end of the spectrum than the other. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it's important to know where you are in this spectrum. I'm, I'm probably kind of a little more towards the mat end of the spectrum. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I mean, not. but not me. I'm really, really great. <laughs> <laughs> You're towards the, the better end of the yeah, spectrum. Yeah, the great end. <laughs> whichever end that is. It's it's all the ends that are great. That's where I am, and I'm making it really great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting looking at this from uh, the individual's perspective because you usually hear about it from the manager's perspective, and it usually comes up in the form of, "I don't really know what that person is doing. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. sure they're working because I see them, and their team likes them, but but." I couldn't tell you like what they did last week and what they're doing this week. And, and, uh, sometimes engineers want to avoid process and they want to just put their heads down in the code. Sometimes it's from not wanting to brag, but, um, if your effort happens without people knowing about it, it's like, does it, does a tree make a sound if it falls in a forest? Is it really doing anything if people don't know about it? Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that as an individual, you can tell others about your work. If you are a leader in your organization, I think it is your responsibility to identify the cool things that people are doing on your team and tell the rest of the team about them. And this is hard to do because it requires a level of awareness of your team that takes effort to achieve. And, um, but the benefits are really great because if you see someone do something really good that has great benefit for other people, like that VP of engineering did for Matt, you then can broadcast that to the rest of the organization and say, hey, look at this cool thing Jameson did. Because of his work, we're going to have X, Y, and Z benefits. And you can list those out and, and say, I'm, I'm really happy to have that. Um, eat, but you don't have to be a leader to do that. You can even just be a peer. Like you may notice Jameson doing something cool. And doesn't it sound even more awesome, Jameson, if one of your peers says, hey, team, I just want you to know about this cool thing Jameson did that I found really beneficial. You know, like he fixed up our build system so it'll fail faster and give us better useful out- output, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly, it takes on a whole new level when you do that for your coworkers. So if a tree falls in the woods and you see it, but no one else does, you can talk about it. Yeah, bragging about your team is is amazing. <laughs> and and if, it can, like, basically never go wrong, as long as you're not, uh, like, slamming on another team and doing it in a competitive <laughs> way. But that's a really good point. My team produces so much better code than the sales team. <laughs> so much. Uh, we destroy them in Super Smash Brothers too. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea. I like that, Dave. That's a um, I, I like what you said about the manager as well, where um, in the case I was talking about where the manager doesn't really know what they're working on, like you should have little alarm bells going off in your head and go find it out. Because if, if they are good... And I'm assuming they are because they're on your team and you're awesome. They're doing some kind of good work and, and you can help promote the visibility of that. Yeah. It is so hard as a manager to know what everybody is working on at all times. You know, if you have more than like 10 people you're responsible for, it's so hard to keep track. You, you wouldn't think it would be. It's only 10 people. But it is just so hard because it changes all the time. Right? Like, hey, you still working on that Webpack thing? Oh, no, that was last week. <laughs> you know, like, dang it. Yeah, and <laughs> all if my it doesn't state change is all the time, then... <laughs> You have different problems. Yeah, exactly. But I think as a leader, it, it's on you to talk to these people and just say, hey, what are you working on? There's no shame in asking, what are you working on? How's it going? I hated stand-up meetings for the longest time. 
and I've moved from hate to begrudging tolerance. And it's partially because <laughs> of this, because it's a built-in check for you to tell your team what you're doing. And um, it took me a while, but I figured out to, to do it more in the way that you described, Dave, where you're describing outcomes instead of, uh, instead of effort. Yeah, like what am I working on? Oh, I hate yeah. that. Today I worked on this. Like, I don't yeah, care. Yeah, I, I worked on this code file and I've done mm-hmm. that a lot and other people have done that a lot. And I, I finally realized like, I don't care when they say which file they're working in. Mm-hmm. They probably don't care when I say what <laughs> file I'm working in, and then kind of changed how. Wait, what. you're working on main? That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I can't wait to see just all the good things that come out of the letters you're typing into main. <laughs> I bet you're typing really good today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please, Dave. It's typing well. This oh is a podcast. Gosh. No, I meant literally he's doing good with the typing. Oh, right? like he or or he's yeah. typing the word, the word good. good. <laughs> <laughs> I meant literally good. <laughs> yeah. But but stand How up dare is you? A, <laughs> oh, pardon me. <laughs> but stand up is a good way to practice that. Um and and this might feel really weird, but I don't think there's anything wrong with doing what Matt did where mm-hmm. if you just do something you feel like especially proud of or it was kind of a big struggle and you finally solved it there's nothing wrong with just tapping somebody on the shoulder and say like hey i did this and i'm super pumped yeah isn't this cool yeah or what do you think of this yeah that's that's what i was gonna say if you're too if that makes you cringe too much you can say like looking for feedback on this thing yeah and and then you just kind of hope their feedback is you are the best (laughs) (laughs) yeah Hey, CEO, I'm looking for some feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and by feedback, and I like, mean, give me a raise. <laughs> he just like tears apart your code in a detailed code review. <laughs> you have no concept of architecture or style. <laughs> Does the word cohesion mean nothing to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so another way you can approach this is by sharing things that are of documentation interest. Like say you've built an underlying tool or framework that's going to help the team. You can write up some documentation about it. Maybe you have a team wiki or Google Docs or something. Uh, you can write up a doc- some documentation about it and then write an email to the team explaining the new thing you've built with a link to the documentation. And suddenly it's like you're, you're, you're doing two things with one. You're, what is it? Killing two birds with one stone? Uh, two seg faults, one, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're doing is you're sharing information about the thing you built, thereby you know, communicating what the effort that you've put in. But you're also sharing documentation, which is needful for the team to use the thing you've built. So it's like, um, this is a case where documentation is not only its own reward, but also uh, can benefit your own self personally. Yeah, I've, um, I've seen a different take on that where the team has some kind of brown bag like thing. Usually the, the brown bag is about some external tool or technology that somebody's interested in wants to share with the team. But I've seen them be internal as well, where it's like, check out this cool thing that, that mm-hmm. Amy did and, and this new pattern she introduced to solve this tricky problem and as a way to spotlight team effort. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I, I think I, I would have one word of caution, which is if you focus your work too much on um, producing shiny internal product things, uh, it might 
make you shy away from the gnarlier problems. This is kind of what I was talking about at the beginning, but the opposite way, right? If all you want to do is just deliver a component that has a glorious demo page that has cool animations, because then everyone will think you're awesome. Um, that's not most of what <laughs> programming is most of the time. So uh, I, I think you can get too drawn into this idea and 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 mm. focus more on people's praise versus like yeah building stuff but just don't do that i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean totally there's a balance there right yeah yeah and that would be super annoying if you had a coworker that was just like clearly motivated only by the uh plus ones and replies they get to their email chain when they get a load of this do. guys like <laughs> oh i don't I want to get a load of you fixing the bug that we've been stuck on <laughs> forever. Also, you told us about that last week, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're struggling with people not knowing anything about your work, like probably yeah. go go hard at it and then you'll course correct if, if, if you make it too far to the other side. In the unlikely event that you make it too far. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say though? Well, I was just going to tell a little story about something I built well, a few I, years ago. Yeah, you got to tell it, and I will give okay, you so, praise. Oh, I, I think I know how this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so a few years ago, we were building our system at work, and we, you know how you build a system, and it looks like it's having no problems, um, but the only reason you don't think it's having problems is because you have no monitoring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or and like when, <laughs> everything is broken except the piece that says, hey, everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, that and that's broken in green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um you know, I just had this sinking feeling that we had some data inconsistency in our database, but I just didn't really know for sure and I thought, you know, I want to know. So I made a little project called Danger Mouse and its job was to run every day and just go through the database looking for problematic stuff. Like, hey, here's a here's a record that shouldn't be in this state for this long. Something must have gone wrong, you know? So I did that and I wrote, I wrote it up in like a day and it sent out a, night, a nightly email and, and I, sent out an, I sent out an email before I pushed it to say, hey, just so you know, we're going to start getting nightly emails that explain data inconsistencies that, that I can find from this new thing called Danger Mouse. Isn't that nifty, yada, yada, yada. It should be fun. Well, the first day it ran, it found all these problems and we were like, whoa, holy crap, we have so many problems. Wow. And uh, this was one of those cases where it was like, it was almost the same thing that Matt said in his article, which was like the, the CTO was like, great job. This is so awesome. I'm so glad, you know, and, and, and I'm like, wow, this took like just a few hours to whip up and, and ship. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, just another example of that. And, and I think most people have those situations. And the, like Matt said, the difference can be whether you communicate to the team about it. Because I could have just set it up to just email me and just fix the problems myself. And then the system would be just as better off but the team would be unaware of what was going on. Yeah. And and if part of the problem is the team wasn't aware of the issues, then uh, I would argue that wouldn't have solved the problem as well. That's true. Probably not long-term, right? Even if you fix the data inconsistencies, if nobody knew, like, oh, the way you built that caused this problem, then they wouldn't Exactly. Improve. Yep, exactly. So... Um, wait, wait, you forgot to praise me. Dave, I am so proud of you for doing <sighs> that. Oh, man. And I'm just grateful that my mentorship helped you <laughs> come up with that idea. 
<laughs> and you must and be you, just, you must feel so fulfilled right now. You've just really taken taken my advice and run with it and done <laughs> almost as much as I imagine you could have done with it. <laughs> no, that's a really cool idea. I've I've like thought about doing that and then I was like, eh, I'll just go back to doing regular work before. <laughs> so it's cool that you you uh you made it happen. That's awesome. I want to share one blog post that I like. It's from 2013. It's called Do Things Right About It. And it's just by just a person. They're not famous. I don't really even know who they are, but I just like their writing. Um, and it, it talks about how you can use this at work, but you can also use this just in personal stuff. You just do a thing and you write about the thing you're doing. And most people don't do that. Uh, so just hmm. by the act of... of putting words on the internet about what you're doing, you'll gain a lot of benefit to it. There's not a ton of risk or commitment and there's a potential that other people will get excited about what you're doing. So I think it's a good kind of general principle. Cool. We'll put that in the show notes. Yep. All right. I think we have answered this question. All right. Question answered. Let us move on. Do you want to read the second question? It has names and I, you just do such a good job of names, Dave. (laughs) I'm, I tell you what I have. I have confidence. You do. I, I have do courage, not want to do just this. Just like Apple. <laughs> yeah. You're so brave for reading this thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is from a listener named uh, Marais Rousseau. And he says, how do you get your point across effectively so that you don't have to later say, I told you so? Mm. You say, neener, neener, neener. <laughs> told you so. Isn't the act of telling someone I told you so, isn't that like a valid energy source that powers (laughs) all of engineering efforts? (laughs) I Mm. thought that was like the gasoline in the engine. (laughs) Uh, So Dave, you, there's, there's a lot kind of going on in this question. I think I liked the interpretation that you said earlier um, when we were discussing it before the show. Share that. Sure. I think, I think there's actually two ways you could interpret this question. The first one is not very nice. I'm going to share that one first, and we'll probably set that aside. But yeah. um, the first interpretation is like, saying I told you so is kind of mean. <laughs> you know, like, obviously. I think that's probably obvious. Um, but So let's go with the second interpretation, which is, how do you communicate effectively so that when something goes bad later, people are clear on what it was you were saying in the first place and and hopefully so they can avoid uh, the pitfall that you were trying to communicate in the first place. In other words, um, it may be that you're explaining your ideas to someone and they just don't quite understand what you're saying and then things go bad and you're like, that's what I was trying to, to warn you about, you know? So it's not a, I told you so, I'm the best and you're the worst. It's more like, I tried to. I was trying to help us avoid this exact situation that we're now in, right? Yeah, I, I that, told you so. Is, is so like weird and triumphant sounding because, say, you warned them of some horrible disaster in your company that was looming, and then it happened, and then you're like, "I told you so!" Ha ha! Like you, <laughs> you're in trouble too. <laughs> <laughs> you you have the bad situation now too there's not yeah. it's not it's like i told trauma. us so <laughs> yeah <laughs> great congratulations our database is still gone 
So. Yeah, and I don't think it was this person's intent to be the triumphant yeah, uh, yeah, jerk, yeah. the post-apocalyptic yep. jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess if, if but, it's all So let's ashes, go with the charitable interpretation. The, king of the ashes, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how do you do so, it? So, yeah, how do you actually share your ideas in such a way people understand them so that later, well, really, so that they don't get into bad situations, just in general? It's It's kind of, you could kind of boil it down to how do you convince people of things, right? Yeah, and, and I think we've talked about techniques for this in the past, like interpretive dance. It's yeah. like totally <laughs> underutilized. Yes. <laughs> Start there. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, <laughs> then, then maybe we should talk about some backup stuff. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, so what's the backup plan? I think pictures help. Pictures and words on, in text form help a lot. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And sometimes when you're trying to explain, like, if you do this, it will have this outcome. You can break it down for people by having a very simple graphic that says, like, if you do this, put it in a box and then have like an arrow pointing to something else. You'll, and then a big title that says, like, outcome, you know, like, we lose database. You know, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. um, it's like, ah, it's for some reason, my brain can see a picture like that, you know, with like circles and arrows and just instantly understand the relationship between what you're trying to say and the outcomes. Mm-hmm. But if you just write it in an email or say it out loud, it, for whatever reason, it doesn't have the sticky memory impact for me. So I actually made a flowchart. <laughs> And it's here, I'll, I'll share it in the show notes. And it, it has two boxes. One is Dave is smart, and there's an arrow pointing to another box. Therefore, Jameson is smart. Um, are, you, are you convinced? <laughs> it's, yeah, that, uh, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels right to me. You haven't even seen the flowchart. I just told you it existed. Yeah, I've got this picture in my head, and I think it's right. <laughs> yeah, good. So have you, have you used this technique in practice? Oh, so yeah, try and quite often. People? Uh, well, okay, so let's talk about convincing. But first, let's talk about understanding. Okay. I, and I think when you're trying to communicate a concept, there are two part, two phases, and they come one after the other. Phase one is understanding. Mm-hmm. Phase two is convincing. So understanding in phase one is all about making sure that the idea that you have in your head successfully is transmitted into the head of someone else. And that is remarkably hard to do, right? Yeah. I mean, he's Jameson. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It seems pretty easy to me. <laughs> no, no, definitely right. <laughs> and uh, but but you really can't even get to convincing until afterward. But I'll tell you what: if you want to convince someone, you better make sure your idea is firmly implanted in their head first. Then you can move on to convincing. And yes, I do think that sometimes having a graphic or having a nice document can actually convince people more strongly than the idea standing on its own okay but you're not you're not talking about persuading you're just talking about making sure what you are trying to say is understood by them well that's what i meant by phase one and phase two is Mm -hmm. convincing and i think a nice graphic and visual can help uh both of those things but i think you wanted to talk about the the responsibility that comes with that because (laughs) just because you have a convincing graphic doesn't mean you're right yeah, this keeps me up at night sometimes where I worry that the people that I'm listening to are very convincing, but that doesn't have anything to do with being right. Um, 
I can understand their ideas well, and they could still be horrible ideas, but they could just be very good at making flowcharts that convince me that that they make sense. Um, but I mean, if you're if you're worried about t- saying "I told you so," then it's like the last question. There's there's a balance, and you don't want to be um, an absolute ruler that is convinced that they hold all the secrets but if there's something that you're genuinely concerned about then i I think it's fine to be worried about making sure people understand and are aware of the problem yeah definitely just don't yeah don't go full-on cult leader on it (laughs) (laughs) so like using like some of these casual game psychological techniques from like mobile games Yeah, I mean, oh, you, I got it. You could make like a visual where the audience that you're presenting to can actually level up <laughs> and earn <laughs> gems as you go through the presentation. I think if you put that much effort into a presentation, you just win by default, though. <laughs> <laughs> you build like a, <laughs> a free-to-play mobile game to convince people to use Postgres instead of MongoDB <laughs> or something. Then. <laughs> You got it. You deserve it. <laughs> they were like, I don't know what we just did, but I came out with 1,700 gems. <laughs> and, and, and all it takes is one person in that meeting to pay for the gems, and then your game <laughs> has paid for itself. As I'm thinking about ways to communicate with people, I keep going to written communication because so much of what I do, at least in software development, is written. You know, there's a little bit of verbal and then a ton of visual, whether it's on a whiteboard, you know, drafting out an idea, whether it's like a Google Doc or a flow chart or a presentation. So I'd say 80% is written and visual as opposed to verbal. Is that about what you think you've done too? Yeah, I would say that depends. So mine is definitely more written than and visual than verbal. I think I'm a less visual person than lots of engineers, but it's still definitely weighted towards words or pictures. Okay. Interesting. So, um, so when I think about ways to communicate ideas, like for example, cause and effect, like say I've got a cause and effect situation. If we make this technical decision, these will be the positive and negative outcomes. You can show that visually with a little flow chart, or you can just write it down like a list of bullet points. And for some reason, when my brain sees a list of bullet points, I interpret that as an unordered set, just a list of things like a bag of words kind of thing. But when my brain sees a flow chart with boxes and arrows with like pointers on one side of the arrows, uh, suddenly I now, my brain instantly recognizes that as a time, like a temporal flow and a cause and effect like this, then that, then that. And um, it makes a big difference in the way that I process that information. So figuring out a way to visually organize your information can help your reader's brains uh, quickly recognize the concepts you're going for instead of making them really dig in and have to invest. Because guess what? People don't actually like reading your long emails or your presentations, you know? <laughs> and so the, the more, the, the faster they can process it with their human meatware, the, the better. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It also communicates something about your, uh, I guess, your, commu- your, your commitment to the decision. Yeah. If that's you're what I was thinking to- too put the time into making some kind of visual instead of just stand up and say, we're all doomed unless you listen to me, then uh, yeah, yeah. It, it just feels like a little more solid. Again, can be used for good or evil. Use it for good. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to bring up a point, which is uh, there's, there's making yourself under, making yourself be understood. And there's also 
um, perceiving if you are being understood or not. And it is oh, it's yeah. very possible that people understand you and they still disagree with you. And you think, this is impossible. They must not understand what I'm saying. They, they, they might just disagree with your points or something right. like that. Right. Maybe they fully understand, but they believe you are wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and or oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you. I insist. No, 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 no. You go ahead. I already forgot what I was going to say, so you have to go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> I was going to say the other side of that coin is that they don't understand, but sometimes, for whatever reason, in human-to-human interaction, we are scared to admit we don't understand. And so, giving people an uh, like a safety net to be able to express that they don't understand without making them look dumb is an important part of communication. And so one of the ways you can do that is with a little bit of self-deprecation. You can be like, hey, this is a hard subject for me to explain. I'm, I feel like maybe I'm not coming across. How, how is this coming out? And then, and then the person receiving is free to go, I'm a little foggy. Instead of them feeling like they're dumb, you can, then, you can take on some of that weight for them and say, look, I'm having a hard time communicating this to you. It's mm-hmm. me, not you. And then they yeah. can feel safer expressing their misunderstanding. Yeah, I like that. Especially in this kind of "I told you so" uh, laden situation, it could be a little a little tense. And if you can open it up that way, it might make people less defensive and more willing mm-hmm. to understand each other. Another thing you can do is you can back up your points with solid evidence. And I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I'll give you a, an example of this doing being done poorly. <laughs> so. Uh, I used to work at a company with a lab, and uh, it had like a raised floor, and we were getting a shipment of servers and server racks, and they were pretty heavy. And they were being delivered, and one of our engineers said, hey, whoa, 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 we can't put those in the lab. The the raised floor will not support that much weight. They'll break through the floor. And And everyone was like, oh, crap, well, the racks are coming right now, and we told the customer we'd get them like stood up like right now. So what do we do? And he's like, well, you can't put them in the lab. And that's all he gave. He didn't give any data points. He didn't say, here's the spec for the floor. Here's like a document from the vendor. You know, here's the weight of the equipment. You can see clearly that, it'll, that it won't hold up. All he said was, it won't hold. So he made an assertion without giving like evidence behind it, like data points to support it. And so at the end of the day, his advice was actually ignored. And fortunately, the floor held fine. <laughs> so he never had to say i told you so <laughs> but but you can see he wasn't taken as seriously as he could have been if he had said hey i looked up the vendor spec for the floor and i've got this data point and it says here you know it can only support this many pounds and those racks weigh twice that so you know he, he didn't do that so if you're coming up with some kind of problem you need to have some kind of evidence behind it to really be taken seriously. Otherwise, it's just an assertion. And guess what? As software developers, we are constantly bombarded with assertions that aren't true, right? Like all the time. Do you, do you feel this way, Jameson? I do. Yeah, I'm actually going to talk about this in just about a week at an upcoming conference. Oh. Yep. Yeah, we, we, we pretend like we're scientific and data-driven and it's so untrue software is all about storytelling and and (laughs) anecdotes and convincing people and chest pounding i mean what chest thumping is that the right yeah i think so i think chest pounding is when you like bump into someone else and chest thumping is when that's that's chest bumping oh shoot (laughs) we need a taxonomy where's linnaeus (laughs) save us carl (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh man, soft skills engineering is your top source for <laughs> Carl Linnaeus themed jokes. <laughs> It's a deep cut. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so you were saying... I can't remember what were we talking about. That as, as software engineers, we consider ourselves to be scientific, but we're often Oh, just, yeah, yeah. No, how, how often have you seen... Like, Rich Hickey stands up and gives an amazing presentation about closure. And there's no data there. He's just very good at presenting. And he just says words. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. And you have great hair. And then you just switch to closure. <laughs> And that's that's how the decisions are made. I came um, to closure for the hair, but I stayed for the s expressions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, that's that's how like basically every technical the technical decision ever feels like it's made to me, and and mm-hmm. especially how the broader themes of the industry are driven. Anyways, <laughs> but I mean, even even easily verifiable stuff. I mean, it's one thing to say choose a programming language based on a feel, but there's easily verifiable stuff that I am bombarded with that's false. Like, hey, if you don't pass in that timeout parameter, your program's not going to work right. I'm like, well, how's it going to break? Oh, I don't know. It's just not going to work. And it's like, okay, well, I didn't pass it, and it's working in production, so it's fine, right? Like, <laughs> people say that kind of crap all the time, and yeah. so like, I find myself to I, I find myself becoming more and more skeptical. Uh, and I don't mean like as a life view, but just more like, okay, a human being said some words to me and I'm going to put them in like a little bin <laughs> and then later I'll pull them out of the bin and inspect them a little more and see if they're right. You know, sure. but they're, that's just kind of how I've become. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you, do you want to kind of sum up what we talked about this question? Yeah. So first of all, don't be a jerk, which I don't think our listeners was trying to be a jerk. I think, in fact, he put, I told you so in air quotes, which I think is a good indication that he is not looking for a, you know, for that kind of meanness. Mm-hmm. A picture is worth a thousand words. Try to organize your information in such a way visually that people can process it quickly. Not everybody is a visual learner, so you may need to write a song. And that might also work. <laughs> dance was mentioned. Also interpretive dance. Jameson will write songs for money. They they have kind of weird rhymes. <laughs> 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 And uh, there are two parts of communication when you're trying to explain a concept or a risk, and that is understanding and convincing. And I think understanding must precede convincing. And also, if you're willing to write a document of some kind or you know put in some effort into communication, it will carry a little more weight to the heart and mind of the receiver, of the listener, to uh, make sure they know how serious you are about this. And then make sure that your uh, data is, or that your argument is backed up by evidence and not just um, you know you having great hair. Yeah. Dave, you've talked a lot about the kind of the art of, of making yourself be understood and be convincing. If, if you're in this tricky situation where you're worried about saying, I told you so, there can be a lot of other kind of human or political factors at play. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know how to navigate those safely. I, the, the thing I try and do is um, make stateless decisions. And, mm-hmm. and by that, I mean, you just look at what you have right now. You don't mm-hmm. worry about like whose idea this thing was or the CEO said this thing and we tried it five times already. Like mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a lot of context around stuff that is unhelpful, but still affects the decision. And if you can filter that oh. stuff out, um, I think you yourself can try and be a, a point of, of, reason in the in the decision making process so it's like functional decision making it has to be a pure function that only operates on the inputs and returns consistent output yep 
And it's just easier to reason about. <laughs> I hate that phrase. <laughs> and you can uh, unit you can unit test your decisions a little better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All you do is set up the company in the exact same way, and then try it try it out. But yeah, they're just just that that stuff will get worried about plenty without you also worrying about it. So if you can if you can avoid letting that influence your decisions, then I think you'll be better off. Awesome. Question answered. We did it. Thank you, dear listeners. Jameson, what do people do if they want to share the soft skills engineering love with their friends or enemies? So there are two ways to do it. One is um, you find a smooth stone from a lake, bring it back, (laughs) boil it for four hours, grind it, drink it into a powder, and then say soft skills, soft skills, soft skills three times in the mirror. (laughs) That's the first way. (laughs) Okay, good. And if you don't want to do that, what what should I do instead? Please, uh, you can rate the show on iTunes. You, su- you can subscribe on iTunes. Even if you don't use iTunes, it still helps in uh, letting other people know about it and just tweet about it. Um, I think that's how we've gotten a-, a lot of our listeners is through people tweeting about the episode. So please mm-hmm. continue to do that. Yeah, it's great. Also, if you want to send us questions, you can do that publicly on Twitter or through direct messages on Twitter if you don't want to share the details or if you feel like there's just a lot to your question that might not fit in the tweet. Awesome. Thank you very much, dear listeners. We love you. We'll catch you next week.